global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Cameron Moscow. This update's brought to you by Brown University, where the new executive master in cybersecurity prepares leaders in law, technology, and business to face tomorrow's greatest threats. The Brown University executive master in cybersecurity strategy is the best security. Data company IHS agreeing to acquire market in a deal that values the combined firms at more than $13 billion. Starward Hotels and Resorts Worldwide accepting an improved bid from Marriott International, valued at $13.6 billion, and top an offer from a group of investors led by China's Anbang Insurance Group. U.S. stock index futures are higher this morning. S&P E-mini futures up two points. Dow E-mini futures up 20. And Nasdaq E-mini futures up six. The DAX in Germany is up six-tenths percent. Ten-year Treasury down two thirty-seconds. The yield 1.88 percent. NYMEX crude oil down 1.2 percent or 47 cents to 38.97 a barrel. COMEX gold down half percent or six dollars ten cents to 12.48.20 an ounce. The euro, $1.1278, the yen, $111.50. And Sherwin-Williams, the largest U.S. paint retailer, said it agreed to buy rival Valspar for about $9.3 billion in cash to become the world's biggest coatings maker. Valspar shares are up almost 27% this morning. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. We need an update, a brief, a summary, and a view forward from Benjamin Emmons. Ben Emmons, with Leader Capital, uh, has written a number of thoughtful books dovetailing our past, present, and future. The word du jour out of three days of central bank folly is overshoot. Um, I'm going to put out on social Ken Rogoff's magisterial uh, IMF uh, discussion on Rudy Dornbush and this key phrase overshoot. And I'll put that out, folks. It's a, it's an academic paper that is is truly a must read. Uh, this from a good 14 years ago. Overshoot. CPI is all of a sudden coming up, and we're talking about overshoot. First, define overshoot mm-hmm. and what it means for Janet Yellen. Uh, yeah, good morning, Tom, Mike. Uh, thanks for having me, having me here. Um, indeed, overshooting is that inflation goes above the target for a period of time. Now, both Yellen and, and Draghi said that during their press conferences that this is kind of the symmetric definition of inflation targeting. You let inflation temporarily overshoot and temporarily undershoot, ultimately you get to the target. But overshooting is where we may head towards to now if, if all the stimulus and negative rates really starts to pay off and the energy market rebalances, we may get to a period at some point of overshooting instead of this four years that we've been in now of undershooting. That's kind of the, the situation we're in it. How do we overshoot? I mean, what what works in what they have done. A Bloomberg story out this morning points out that uh, bank balance sheets, they're not in Europe, they're not lending. The, 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 the amount of money that's being deposited at the central bank, instead of being forced out by negative rates, is rising. Yeah, and that's true. That, 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 that's still that mechanism doesn't completely work. So I guess what overshooting happens is that, if it happens, because we, we're still not there yet, but <clears throat> it seems that inflation is picking up a bit, that people are looking at this, um, it's clearly going to be driven by energy, as in if, if the oil price were to rebound further, that certainly will help to have inflation rise faster. Um, but when it comes to credit creation, as you mentioned, that's still a very slow progress. Now, they try to do this with these new measures in, in Europe, um, and it's yet to be seen if that actually picks up, that leads to more aggregate demand and thereby more employment, because that would be really the, the way to see inflation more materially rising 
we may have experiencing this in the U.S. a little bit now, as in you know, wages are slowly rising, employment is better, that inflation is rising for that reason. In Europe, they would have to get it still from the energy component of that to see a quicker, quicker move. So I think overshooting, we're not just there yet. I think, on the, as you mentioned, on the credit side, uh, it's it still some way to go there before you can actually make that a real reason for, for inflation overshooting. Here in the U.S., we're seeing um, the the core rate leave inflation, leave energy out of it, start to rise. We're not seeing that in Europe yet. Is that coming, or are they still so dependent on energy uh, as a component of their price index? I, I think that's true. I think that that's the energy component is, is significant in Europe, um, and and therefore it will take some time for for the core rate to come up quicker this way. We have some other factors here that drives our core rate higher. The only notable development there was that the non-core goods inflation is picking up. That's a sign of economic strength. So that we have to see in Europe too to see core rising. Um, so I think in Europe it's all about headline inflation as energy recovers a bit. That's ultimately what the ECB does target. It doesn't target core inflation but headline inflation. Um, that we will see some climb out of the negative territory that they're in at the moment. Yeah. You know, I, I, I look at the idea, the co- the comedy almost, of overshoot. To be clear here, even the inflationistas don't say it's a return to Walter Heller-like 1960s inflation. Do you have a level where overshoot becomes problematic? Can you give us – I don't give me the time. Never give time and date, Ben. Give me the the level where overshoots a problem. It's not two point three, right? It's not two point three indeed. It's it's much more like three, four percent. That high of of let's say yeah. one to two percent over the target uh, to make that. Point. Mike, I think that's a key distinction. Right. Is 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 the the inflation warriors are parsing tenth of a percent. Mr. Emmons is not doing that. No, no. It's more of a what I mentioned was yeah. There's a time, so the, it's interesting to see that the average time is about one year for overshooting to last, and then it, then inflation apparently comes back to the target again or below. Whereas mm-hmm. an over undershooting takes a lot longer. It seems to be more like two and a half years. So. Yeah. Um, I think overshooting indeed is problematic when you indeed when you Mike, are one to two percent over the target. Did you did you notice, Mike, that uh, that that Mr. Emmons' research paper has no dots on it? <laughs> it's, it's dot plot free. Dot free. Dot free. Why yeah. is that? Well, so I, I thought of the, the three questions that that may influence central banking from here. Is that the dot plot plays a bit of a less role there? It's more about. What is the level of nominal rates? What's the floor on nominal rates? What, you know, what time is inflation allowed to overshoot and by how much? And this helicopter money term that seems to be resurfacing, is that really the new next big thing? So the dot plot is relevant, but it's become a bit of a, a background story. I think these three questions that were posed during the press conference of the ECB recently are actually really relevant. Because if, if we are going to a situation where nominal rates can go a lot more negative than people realize, in addition, the central banks are contemplating a, a version of helicopter money, which is a really extreme measure, uh, we're, in a, we're really in a different direction. Uh, and all that to try to have inflation rather overshoot than undershoot. Right? That's, the, that's the idea behind that. Um, I thought it was interesting that, that Draghi was definitely open to this idea of helicopter money. I thought it was very notable. Take, take us back 10 years ago with the deflation speech of, of uh, Bernanke when he started a 
mention uh, quantitative easing as a measure, while that ultimately materialized. Now quantitative easing is the norm. We're all used to quantitative easing. It's not so extreme anymore. And have, today you have central bankers like uh, Draghi indicating, well, helicopter money is something we you know, haven't discussed, but you know, at least it's something that they find interesting. Then that means that at some point that may become and also a measure they may use. Now, the form of that is to be seen. We don't know that yet, but, but that, that's debated. That's a, that's a notable point. Markets will, will pay attention to this clearly, obviously. How far out can you look and have any kind of confidence in your view of what, what is going to happen given all this? So I think what we'll see is that um, central banks will still go through somewhat more extreme measures to ensure that we're, we're getting sustainable inflation and not end up in deflation uh, for a long period. So I think which is not out of this era of unconventional measures and creative ways of trying to stimulate economic activity, really because we're dealing with deleveraging, and deleveraging is, is, comes in waves. And each time that these waves happen, like what happened in January was a form of deleveraging, um, central banks have to step in to try to offset that. So... I think that's what we're still in for until we are actually out of this this really protracted slump. And there's a lot of debate about it, like we're a secular stagnation and we never can really get out of this. Okay, but what you've just described, and Mike, now that I think about it, it's all the great work we did last week. Thank you, team, for that. What we're doing is we're back to an analysis of nominal GDP and nominal rates. Because what we're saying is inflation's up, so what? Real growth is down, so we're back to pre-ManQ almost. Correct. Am I right? Yeah, I think you're yeah. right about that. We're back to, to nominal GDP. I need a pipe. i got to look like – could I look like Arthur Burns, Michael? Yeah. yeah, you don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> so, well. so, yeah, we're back to nominal GDP because that ultimately drives you know, everything, really, you know, returns yeah. and everything. So if nominal GDP like – you mentioned once the other day that, that GDP and nominal GDP in the U.K. is 2.7 percent. Like it's really low. U.S. No. is sort of like three, three and three and a half is is, is really low. We want to go back to 5% nominal GDP. So it's all about nominal GDP. Uh, ben Emmons, thank you so much. Leader Capital helping us out this morning. Uh, Michael, the reason I'm a little thunderstruck is I got up at midnight Oops. trying to understand Scarlet Foo's bracket. <laughs> I mean, folks, we usually every year have somebody from Bloomberg LPN to talk about their geniosity. This year, among our 19,000 employees... We're going to have to bring in one S. Foo if she gets through the final eight to the final Doing four. Doing well here. She's killing it on the TV newser. She's just killing it. She's in first place on the edge of geniosity. It's just, I don't know how she does it. Were you advising her? Uh, no. It's, uh, it's, uh, I had not seen her break bracket. It's, yeah. uh, it's out there on TV newser as well. Scarlet yeah. Foo just killing it. Yeah, we didn't mention my bracket, which... Uh, well, we're not going to do that. ...is the imponderable and unmentionable. More, another hour of Bloomberg Surveillance.